This story really struck me. It took us all back to the moment of darkness in the city of Toronto when we discovered there was a serial killer that had been loose in the gay village, preying on men and killing them one after another. It had gone on for years. In some cases, the men who were missing were forgotten and never really searched for. And now we're about to hear that serial killer who is behind bars. His name is Bruce MacArthur. And at the moment that he was found guilty, that was not the end of this controversy. We realized and were told there was another time where they almost had him. He was brought in for an interview. This became controversial within the Toronto police. And he was brought in after a man went to them and said, during sex, someone had tried to kill him. And in this segment, and I give you a bit of a warning, I mean, it's not pleasant. It is grim undertaking here. And I want to begin and just give you a taste of the sound of Bruce MacArthur. We haven't heard much from him. We only know his crimes. Here's how that interview started. Okay, sir, and your name is? Bruce MacArthur. And if you could spell it for me, please. Uh, B-R-U-C-E and MacArthur, M, small c, capital A-R-T-H-U-R. There were two officers there. We had a constable, Lacey Dunning, and Lacey describes to Bruce MacArthur, of course, not knowing this was a serial killer, why he was there in the first place. Here's what she said. So the allegations are that around uh, 6.30 p.m. this evening, uh, you met up with a gentleman by the name of um, at the intersection of Bathurst and Finch. Um, during the course of, uh, of your involvement with him, there was an allegation made of an assault, which uh, in uh, choking uh, was the allegation made. And, uh, and that's basically why you're under arrest today for that assault. The other was Detective Paul Gauthier. And during this interview, Bruce MacArthur was asked about the allegation that he tried to choke someone. Here's how Bruce MacArthur describes it, keeping in mind he's six killings in to his serial killer murder spree. Here's how it sounds. I thought, okay, he likes it rough. So I put my hand to his throat and just for a few seconds, because he, before that, he, he's very strong. He just completely turned around and grabbed me by the throat. He said, and he said, now I'm going to show you what I'm going to do to you. And he had me by the throat to the point that I couldn't breathe. So I put my hands like up in the air like a surrender because I couldn't talk. And that's when he finally let go. And then he jumped out of the car. He said, um, I don't want to see you again. So I sat there because I was kind of out of breath. And I thought he was getting in his car to leave because he started the car and was running. I could hear running because he was parked right beside me. And um, the next thing I heard him say, it's 911 or whatever. And so I thought, oh, gosh, he's calling the cops. 
And here we go. There's so much. There's so much to glean from that interview. He's already been killing people. He approaches the police for his side of the story. He's sitting there, and you can see it in the video. We can hear it here. He's sitting there in the police department. Final question before we welcome Wendy Gillis, who's writing about this in the Toronto Star. The final question about how he got out of it. Are you injured at all, sir? No. Do you believe he would have been injured? I didn't think so. Here we go. Wendy Gillis is joining us live, who is a Toronto Star crime reporter, the Toronto Star, among the group of media outlets that press so we can hear and see this video. Wendy, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Maybe you can help us off the top. We've heard Bruce MacArthur here. We'll talk about the meaning and what was at hand there. But we almost didn't see or hear this video. It was controversial. How did we get it? Yeah, it's a bit of a of a long tail, Arlene. But essentially, we, the media, um, you know, were covering a tribunal hearing, and that was um, in the case of Paul Gauthier, who you mentioned off the top. He was the investigator who um, looked into this incident, and uh, within a couple of hours, you know, of that interview, released Bruce MacArthur. And of course, after the fact, after we knew, you know, the extent of his crimes. Um, how that case was handled was re-examined, and as a result of that, he faced um, professional misconduct charges. Uh, it's important to know that in August he was cleared of those charges, um, but earlier in the year, when this case was at, before the, uh, the Toronto Police Professional Misconduct Tribunal, um, his lawyer and the police prosecutor tendered that video as an exhibit, which essentially, you know, in, in real person speak is they were about to make it public um, so that the journalists that were there were watching um, could report on it. And, you know, members of the public who are free to attend these types of hearings could see it. Um, but just as soon as they entered that as an exhibit, um, they put a publication ban on it. Um, and which means, you know, we would be able to see it, but as reporters, we would not be able to broadcast it. We wouldn't do what you just did, which, you know, air it on the radio. Uh, we wouldn't be able to report on its contents. And as journalists, you know, that's a really big infringement of our um, powers, essentially. We, have, we are there on behalf of the public to report on these um, public institutions, the way they work, and also on the actions of police. And so this was something that we very quickly, um, you know, essentially raised our hands. It was in Zoom. I remember, you know, pressing that raise hand button and saying, you know, hey, wait a minute. Um, can we talk about this publication ban? Because tribunals and courts, they are obliged to consider things like, you know, the public right to access uh, when they're putting something on um, under a publication ban. Because in in Canada, we have the expectation that our courts and our public... We do, and here open. we have a Supreme Court uh, offering yeah. this. Wendy, now we've heard it. We know the officer who was uh, connected to this, who, there was an investigation, he was cleared. But it's pretty, it's pretty eerie to hear Bruce MacArthur and knowing he's six men in, Wendy, and he goes on his own to tell his side of the story. How did you feel when you first saw this, which you fought so hard to get to see? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's a real mix of emotion because, um, 
you know, something that we never can lose track of, lose sight of, is the fact that eight men died here and they are victims that need to be foremost in our minds. One of the reasons why we sought this video so hard and used, you know, went to the courts to try to get it is because we wanted to scrutinize the police activity here. You know, this was an opportunity for the Toronto police to catch someone who had been killing men from the gay village and of course sadly we know he went on to take two more lives after this interview and so on the one hand it was horrifying to to hear his voice to see you know the way he was in that in that interview um but it it is uh, a victory in a sense for transparency and it felt it felt uh good that we were able to finally report on the contents of that interview as fully as we were able to yesterday and when we watch him we think here is you know his demeanor i'm having done quite a few stories on serial killers close up and personal they don't look often what people think they are we know that bruce MacArthur was well liked and moved effortlessly throughout the gay village and with his clients we saw a peak of that wendy didn't we Yeah, I mean, I think that's something we really need to dispel as we discuss serial killers. There is no one who looks like a serial killer. There is no one who acts like a serial killer. Um, You know, that's part of how um, we, you know, one one aspect of why he went um, as long as he did before getting caught, of course, was because of how he uh, was liked and how he presented, but also because of who his victims are. And I think we really, moving forward, need to dispel those two aspects of, you know, what does a serial killer look like and who are their victims? Um, and so that's another way that this is helpful is to, to say, like, here, this guy doesn't look like a serial killer. And that's because there is no, you know, mold for this type of. No, there is behavior. no there is no playbook. And often they work very hard to look the complete antithesis of what they are. You know, I I was so riveted when he was asked, do you want a lawyer? And he lingered. And you could see he knew the power of what he said. Nah, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Trying to look blasé. But, you, you know, Wendy, the most important thing is it worked. They let him go. Also, this was not the first time he'd done that. He, he had already assaulted a man in, in the village mm-hmm. in 2001. And in that case, he also t- turned himself in. So um, that's another lesson to learn from this. Yeah. You know, methinks they doth protest too much. Sure. There you go. It's as easy to that. Wendy, uh, fighting for this video, has a message been sent here on the media and the public and our right to know? Mm, thank you for asking that question. I think, you know, uh, a big a big victory here is just kind of looking at um, how tribunals and courts uh, deal with the media and that, you know, there is a presumption that these hearings are open and that you cannot slap a publication ban on something without making due consideration of the multiple factors involved, including the public's right to know. Um, And so I find this this ruling very heartening in that respect. And I'll be able to go back to it when I have, you know, when I'm having trouble accessing exhibits from a tribunal, you know, I cover the Toronto Police Tribunal Mm -hmm. quite a bit and be able to say, hey, we've got the Ontario Superior Mm -hmm. Court saying I have a right to access this exhibit. Um, And so I hope that that it's a step towards, you know, greater transparency of these types of bodies.
Yeah, I mean, a shot across the bow, and good for the Toronto Star and the other media outlets for fighting for this. Wendy Gillis, thank you for joining us. We appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much for having me. Right, great. Wendy Gillis, a Toronto Star crime reporter. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.